Alpharetta Music City presents a Song Can Change Your Life podcast, brought to you by the City of Alpharetta, Georgia, and recorded from the Alpharetta Arts Center, where creativity thrives. Alpharetta, Georgia is a unique blend of excellent schools, incredible job opportunities, technology, cultural happenings from art to music, and abundant green space. Through all of its progress, the city has kept its down-to-earth character, which is why people who live here stay here. There's always something new and exciting happening in Alpharetta. Hello, and welcome to A Song Can Change Your Life. My name is James, and we're coming to you live from the Alpharetta Arts Center in the beautiful city of Alpharetta, Georgia. Our show is brought to you by Home by Dark Productions and the city of Alpharetta. Our guest today is singer-songwriter Pat Terry. As a pioneer of contemporary Christian music, he was part of the first wave of artists to be signed to Murr Records. Between 1974 and 1980, he wrote and recorded seven albums with his own Pat Terry group. During that time, his songs appeared on albums of a diverse list of artists that included pop singer B.J. Thomas, country great Ray Price, gospel songstress Evie Turnquist, and cowboy hero Roy Rogers. After disbanding his group in 1980, Terry recorded three critically acclaimed solo albums. In 1985, Terry decided to leave the rigors of the road and make songwriting his primary pursuit. As the co-writer of Foster and Lloyd's Lie to Yourself, he enjoyed his first country music songwriting success. He then co-offered with Travis Tritt the singer's first number one country hit, Help Me Hold On. In 1992, Terry signed exclusively with Castle Street Music. That professional association yielded a number of songs recorded by various artists, including Confederate Railroad, The Oak Ridge Boys, Kenny Chesney, John Anderson, and Tracy Bird. Terry also wrote two more number one songs, Tanya Tucker's It's a Little Too Late and Sammy Kershaw's National Working Woman's Holiday. These days, you'll find Terry writing, recording, and touring from his home base in Smyrna, Georgia. Pat Terry, welcome to Alpharetta, and the song could change your life. It's good to be here. This is our first Thanks. ever taping in front of a live audience with breathing human beings. Thank there you for you taking the plunge with us, man. <laughs> um, I, I wanted to tell this story. Uh, I love telling this. I first heard the name Pat Terry when I was in eighth grade. I was uh, at Camp Abundant, my church camp. I was camper of the week. Thank you very much. <laughs> and my award for being camper of the week, I have no idea what the criteria was, but I was given an album. And for those listening, an album that are under the age of 30, this was a big Frisbee that played music. So I listened to this album of Christian hits of the day, and I hated the whole thing. I just, I just like, oh, man, this is horrible. But the one song came on, and I loved it. And it was by the Pat Terry Group. And I, it was called I Can't Wait. And it changed my perspective on music in churches. And I started playing music in church at that point. So fast forward 25 years, and I didn't know Pat um, at, back then, but at 25 years later, I'm going back and forth to Nashville, learning the right songs and networking and recording. And a friend of mine reached out and said, hey, Pat Terry is local, and I'll bet he would be help you out with some advice and wisdom. So I uh, I reached out to Pat. I sent him a tape of my horrible songs, and he was so kind and got back in touch with me we, and gave me wonderful, very constructive, lengthy advice on how to better write songs. And I'll never forget that, Pat. You were the first person to ever do that for me in a very constructive way that, that really helped me become a better writer. And I want to thank you for that, first of all. But also, I was curious about in your career, if someone early in your life played that role in part for you. 
Well, um, when I got started writing, um, it was really to write songs for our group, the Pat Terry Group, in the early 70s. And I didn't know any other songwriters, and I wasn't trying to write songs that other people would record. I was wanting to write for our band. So I really wrote songs because I listened to a lot of music. And uh, my mentors were people like John Lennon and Paul McCartney. And the people that I loved their records, I listened to their songs. So, so did you have an internal mechanism that said when you wrote a song at that early age that said, yeah, this is good? Or did you have any outside influence that said, hey, you know, from a song construction standpoint, you might want to work on this. But you just, you just went with what your gut was? Yeah, pretty much. I, I mean, I didn't have much perspective at that point on the craft of writing. You know, I was more concerned with the spirit behind it, you know. So, yeah, I generally just, you know, if it felt right to me, it was right. When I go back and listen to some of those songs today, I kind of go, you know, I I might have written that a little differently today. But it surprises me in some ways when I go back and listen to that, that a lot of those songs still kind of hold up, you know. And uh, obviously, they've meant something to people, which is why you write songs. You hope it can connect with people. Well, and what's amazing about that it happened early for you. You were a young guy. Yeah. You started writing early. You started playing music at least early, around 12 or so. Yeah. And mm. in bands. But then you got signed like around 22 years old, 21, 22? Yeah. right. To uh, Murr Records. And so what's amazing to me is that you wrote and performed well enough without any of that sort of industry influence. You just right. wrote what you knew. Right. And it got you signed. Yeah. Well, you need to understand, I think, that the genre that we were recording in, which actually came to be known as contemporary Christian music, that barely existed back right. then. Murr Records was one of the foremost labels of that time, but there were only like two or three labels. Right. And um, there wasn't a real standard for what what is this music supposed to sound like. But they weren't sounding lousy, lousy music or well, lousy writers. Yeah. You know? yeah. And right. so you stood out. Yeah. Well, that's um, uh, and that and that I first so. record, yeah, created some songs that are iconic for people. I really was just writing from the heart, you know. I wish so. I could write from the heart like that, Pat. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. where did the musical DNA, the songwriting DNA, come for you? Were your parents musical, mm-hmm. or? Well, there was a lot of people in my dad's family that loved gospel music and sang gospel music, not professionally, but I still remember going to our family reunions, and there was always a big gospel thing that went on. And there were there were lots of folks in my family, including my dad, who had great voices. So, you know, I was kind of aware of that. My mom was kind of innately talented as a pianist, and she played by ear, but she could play anything. You just name it, and she'd just sit down and play it. So she kind of had that, and I think some of that was passed on to me. To this day, I can't read music. I've never read music, but I can hear music in my head, and I can I can translate that to guitar or piano, whatever I'm writing on. And I think some of that, just if there's such a thing as being passed on a, you know, through the DNA, I think that probably came from How about the mom. songwriting part of that, though? At what age or what point did you go from enjoying music, like the Beatles and stuff, to going— yeah. All right, I'm gonna. I'm now gonna create music. Well, I think I think the Beatles is what did it for me. Is I saw the Beatles on Ed Sullivan when they first appeared in 1964, and I was aware that they wrote these songs. And I remember going to bed that night, you know, staring up at the ceiling, thinking, "I've got to do this," right. you know. So 
it was just an awareness that there were people, that songs didn't just magically appear. People wrote these things. So um, my biggest inspiration were, were the Beatles and all that, that whole British invasion. And as time went on, of course, I started just, just gobbling up, uh, you know, all the New York real building writers and all those people that were writing pop songs out in L.A. And So when you, you know, first started writing, though, were you writing pop stuff? Were you already starting to write sort of in that? Well, yeah, it was kind of pop. It was kind of pop stuff. But it was always, uh, for some reason, I always had the idea that writing songs was about writing from the inside out. I had this idea that you always wanted to be expressing something that you knew something about. It wasn't just making up something that sounded clever. Mm -hmm. So even the songs that I wrote very, very early were songs that kind of came out of my life. The very first song I ever wrote, <laughs> which is pretty awful, but uh, I wrote it just so I would have something to play my dad because I, I had a guitar and I had kind of learned a few chords. And I wrote a song called Let's Go to Town. My dad would occasionally, he'd go, hey man, let's go to town. We'd, we'd get in the truck and go shopping or something, you know. So I wrote this little song, let's go to town, let's go to town, let's go to town <laughs> on Saturday night. That was it, you know. But for me, I was writing from the inside out. Yeah. That was something that I thought about that was part of my life experience. That's you cool. Know? You know, when I first started writing, I think I tried, I think, I think probably naturally you try to do that. What happened to me, though, when I got wind of Nashville and the industry of music, then all of a sudden I, I hit the brakes. It's like, well, what I'm writing doesn't sound anything like what I'm hearing out right. of here, so I need to change. And you start learning formulas, and, and it right. sucks the soul out of you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then it took right. years to re- for me to reverse yeah. back. But you, yeah. right from the get go, just sort of said, mm-hmm. "This is how I'm writing," and sticking with it. Well, I feel fortunate that I wasn't writing for a market. Yeah, it is true that if you go to Nashville and, and say, "I want to be a songwriter," well, every publisher in Nashville they're interested in you writing a song that sounds like the kind of thing that they could take to any artist in right. town, and they would want to record because. Not only does it have something special, but it also is written in such a way that radio will play it. Yeah. And um, these days, you know, that it can go into rotation on download sites and things like that. That's really different than just writing whatever you feel, you know. It's like you have to not only be writing what you feel and write from your heart with a genuine, real spirit, but you also have to kind of be aware that, you know— Songs in, in Nashville that get recorded, they have choruses. They hit those choruses pretty early. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a whole list of things that happen in those songs right. that that when you start writing there or probably any music center in New York or L.A. or something, you know, there's a craft to writing those kind of songs that you apply. Yeah. You know. You've applied well, young man. You're doing well. You're, well, doing, you're doing fine. So you went through, uh, you started playing young, and then you start playing your own music. And in your early 20s, you get signed to this label. You guys have some success. You travel around, made millions of dollars, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It was a totally That's different hilarious. industry back then. <laughs> yeah. It was a whole different game back then. I understand. Um, and so you did that for a while, and you guys put out records, and, and it's such a cool thing. What for you changed between that time period going into sort of your diving into the Nashville market as a writer? Right. Well, at the end of the... 70s, and after the Pat Terry group had done everything that we had done, the Christian music genre had started building as an industry. And I started being frustrated in my writing. 
because people's faith started becoming a part of that craft of writing songs. It had to sound a certain way, and they used a certain kind of language about their faith that, to me, is like, well, maybe there's nothing particularly wrong about that, but what if I feel differently about my faith, and what if I don't want to use those kind of words? I started feeling a little like, well, maybe maybe I feel restricted. I'm I'm not. This is not quite where I need to be anymore. And um, and I was tired from traveling. We'd been on the road. We did um, 225, 250 dates a year for years Mm -hmm. in a row, and that's basically if you're not gone, you're getting ready to go. You know, the whole time. I just wanted to return to my first love, which was songwriting. I didn't know anything about what you did to be a writer as a career. I didn't really understand that, but I knew that that happened in Nashville. And I knew a few people in Nashville. So I just went up there and started hanging out with friends and, and you know, going to the Bluebird Cafe and places where songwriters were playing and um, started to get a feel for what was happening up there. And I, I loved the energy that was going on up there. I was also fascinated by the fact that there was a lot about songwriting I didn't know. The craft of writing was something that I didn't have any experience in, really. So um, I think for me to totally shift gears and just not be out in front of people all the time, but just be sitting in rooms writing songs either by myself or with other writers who I was learning so much from. You know, anytime I sat in a room with a a writer that was more experienced than me, I was just like a sponge. I was soaking up the craft of writing. I think that's kind of what changed in that era for me. Well, it's really paid off both commercially, but also as a fan of your songs and and seeing how they evolve and change. And I wanted to talk today, the show is called A Song Can Change Your Life. And when I bring guests on, I really do try to pick songs that have impacted me in a significant way. Um, it just so happens this one also had a little bit of commercial success called Someplace Green. The Oak Ridge Boys did it. But I remember the first time I heard it, we were in a round somewhere, and I can remember it was Pat, me, and a couple other writers. It was at Bluebird or somewhere around town. I don't know. But I remember after you sang that song, it might have been earlier mid of the show, I really wanted to stand up at that point and say, that's it, everybody. Good night. We're done. <laughs> you know, because it was such a high standard to me how well a song was written. And it reminded me on that day of, because uh, the imagery of it, of like a James Taylor's copper line. And I was blown away by how you use colors to create emotion and, and a, a sense of place um, in a very, very powerful way. The, the inspiration for that song, how did you write that? Where did it come from? It, it was interesting how that song came about. I had been going through a period of, um, I was just blocked, basically. You know, I mean, I just, I hadn't been writing at all. And when I sat down to try to write, I had no ideas, nothing was coming. And my wife will tell you that I'm okay for the first couple of weeks of that. As that drags on, I start becoming difficult to live with. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I think I had just kind of developed my grumpy factor to the point that she was kind of tired of it. And I walked in the kitchen one day, and I was complaining that I hadn't been writing. And she said, look, she said, I just want you to take that chair. And she actually pushed it with her foot towards me. It was a kitchen chair. She said, I want you to take that chair. I want you to take it out in the backyard and take your guitar, sit down in it, and write a song. Don't come back inside until you've written something. (laughs) And I thought that sounded really oversimplified. It's like, hey, you don't really understand. It's like, I don't have to understand. Just do it. And uh, so I took that chair out in the backyard, and uh, it was June, so all the leaves were on the trees. 
And I sat it at the base of this big poplar tree, which was fully leafed out. It was huge. And I just sat there and I started playing that little guitar riff that that, that song starts with. And I just kind of stared up into the trees for about 30 minutes, you know, just playing that over and over and over. Eventually, those first couple of lines just popped out in, in my head, you know. It was like, back in my hometown, everything's green. Back in my hometown, everything's green. Green grass, green leaves, green peaches on the trees in spring. Green jello, green beans, the kids don't know a thing, they're green. In this dirty old city, everything's gray. Gray seas, gray walls, gray traffic that barely crawls. Gray nights, gray days, and everybody feels that way. Gray. But every night, I have the same sweet dream. I'm nowhere gray. My general approach to songwriting is once I get that a couple of lines, then I just start following that. Mm-hmm. It's like everything's green. Well, green grass, green leaves, green peaches on the trees in spring. You know, I just started listing all the stuff that was green. You know, right. it's really kind of a logical, a logical thing that's fueled by the emotion. That you feel about it. Does so, your wife take credit for that song for kicking the door out, the kicking the chair out? <laughs> she should. It's a portion. She should. But sometimes, yeah. though, that that she she was as it was a brilliant idea because sometimes that change of scenery, you know, yeah. just triggers something else in your brain. You know, that right. scene in Dead Poet Society of standing on top of a desk and changing your perspective on the room is a powerful right. example of that. Right. Um, well, in, in in my head, it, it's interesting. The gray part of that actually had nothing to do with my hometown or the green. The gray in this song was Des Moines, Iowa. Hmm. Uh, Back when I was touring all the time, uh, one of the last tours I did was like a Midwest kind of thing. And it was long. We were out for weeks, and uh, it was just me, and my wife was with me. It was just the two of us. And I remember standing in a hotel room in Des Moines, Iowa, up on about the 10th floor is, you know, and looking out on the city, and it was so gray looking. It didn't look like Georgia. It didn't look like where I lived. And I don't think I've ever felt that homesick Hmm. looking out the window at that gray city, you know. And somehow, when that gray line came out, that was what I saw in my head. Coming here, baby, was a big mistake. Too crowded, too cold, too far from you and home. It's too hard and it's too mean. Nobody here believes in me. But I close my eyes and it almost seems I'm right there beside you. So 
September sun Hand in hand we start to run Down streets with names I recognize So much laughter in your eyes We lay down to catch our breath I can smell the new mowed grass There's your perfume in the air Gotta wish that I was there So when did you know the song was had something special to it? Was it while you're writing it? Or- well, I, I no. As a matter of fact, when I finished it, um, I didn't really think it was special. Yeah. I, had, I had to have people tell me it was wow. special. Uh, I took it and played it for my publisher, and she loved it. Yeah. And I had been playing stuff for her for months, trying to get her excited about certain things that I was writing. You know, she she always kind of liked it, but. She never really lit up. When I wrote that song and played it for her, she went, oh, wow. Mm. Man, Pat, that's special. We'll find someone to cut that. And I went, really? Because it didn't sound like anything on the radio. It didn't sound like the country music that I had been, you know, trying to learn to write for the past few years, you know. She was just ecstatic about it. And when I went out and started playing it live, when I would go to the Bluebird and play, always got a great response. Yeah. And I, I realized I must have hit on something here that I just didn't realize. I was so busy just trying to write a, a good song. I didn't, I don't think I understood that it really did seem to grab people's emotion. And The good song uh, pluggers and publishers have that innate ability to, to hear a song and the, go, they're hit, very finely you. tuned, and they and they know it within the first three or four lines. Yeah, they don't even. You know, it used to drive me crazy when I would play songs for a publisher, and they would get halfway yeah. through the first verse and cut off the yeah. tape and go, "Okay, what else you got?" Yeah, oh, yeah. And I'm and I'm going, "Wait a minute, the, the second verse is better." You, you haven't even heard this song, yeah. and it's like, oh, you know. Right. But now I kind of know. It's like, yeah, you can kind of tell in the first verse if you're onto something. With her, were you just doing like guitar vocal demos, just? Out of your house? Uh, yeah, I've always had a little studio in my house, you know, a little eight-track studio at that time. And so I would usually flesh things out pretty Did you pitch it to her, though? But, I, but you know, I think to her, I think I just brought my guitar in her office and sat down and played it. Okay. I think that's— That's even more powerful. Well, it can, for this song in particular, yeah, right. it certainly was. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. she hears it, and this has something special to it. Did you do a guitar vocal demo before she started pitching it, or did you a band? Or what you uh, guitar vocal, okay. and, and she requested. She said, "You know, just do what you did for me. You know, just it needs to be simple, yeah. uh, not a big production." She said, "You just want to capture the the feel of it." So that's basically what I did. Yeah. You know. So what was interesting to me when I listened to the Oak Ridge Boys version is mm-hmm. that they got rhythm on it and some yeah. other stuff. They do a great job. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, I, they I, sang it like a gospel quartet. Yeah. Yeah, which yeah, they are. Yeah. That's just what they are. Yeah. yeah. Did you know those guys at all? Was it just a straight pitch and they recorded it? Yeah. No interaction? No, I didn't. I didn't know. Of course, my publisher did. And yeah. she sent the song over to them. Yeah. And what was your reaction uh, when you heard it? Uh, I liked it, but it wasn't at all yeah. like my version of the song. Yeah. I mean, my version's kind of folky. And they really did cut it like a gospel song. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm always interested to hear what people do. I mean, most of my songs. When I've heard them by other artists, they aren't exactly like my demo, but I, I don't want them to be. I want to hear that artist do them. Yeah, right? interversions. Yeah. But yeah. There, there are certain songs, though, and this is just my 
opinion which needs nothing is that there's a power to what we just heard, which was mm-hmm. you performing guitar vocal, just that rawness of it. Yeah. That's how I first yeah. heard it in the round. Yeah. Yeah. That's what meant something to me. Yeah. Well, I like to think that when the Oak Ridge Boys heard that song and their producer heard that song, that they got from my demo what we wanted them to hear. Yeah, they got the sure. emotion of it. They just and, had to uh, treat it within their but, brand. But it's, yeah. like, it's like, you know, we're a certain kind of group and this is the way we hear it. You know? yeah. so. That was released around 98 or so? Yeah. So mm-hmm. the reaction when you go play it live? Yeah, you get good stories. You get really good feedback. Does that stand out from the others as far as hey, that it connects to me emotionally? Um, I inevitably have people come up to me afterwards and tell me that it moves them. Uh, I, can't, I can't think of right offhand any particular stories on no. that, but uh, it connects with people. Yeah, on an I can see it in the faces level. when the rounds we've done together. When you've done it, I can see it. I can I saw it today when, yeah. when you performed yeah. it. What it did for me, and what, one of the reasons I chose it was it's a very powerful. Musical example of no matter where we're at in life, that we have this ability to transport ourselves. We can be in tough circumstances. We can be in that gray situation. But we have that ability to close our eyes and sort of transport ourselves to right. that meaningful, the meaningful stuff in life. Yeah, right. And man, it's such a great example of that, Pat. Yeah, um, yeah. Lots of songs have changed my life, but that one changed my life with that primary example of, man, when we're ever in tough circumstances, no matter what's going on, the bullets are flying by. I can close my eyes and mm-hmm. I can go back to my house on my few acres and, and imagine being under the trees. And yeah. um, That's exactly yeah. where you wrote that from, I think. Yeah, I think so. And I wasn't thinking that way, but it's almost like that song is proof of that. Right. Is that there's, it's like I carry something inside me about my home yeah. and my house and my hometown yeah. that feels warm and green to me, yeah. you know? I was fortunate that I had a, a great childhood with the family that loved me. And, you know, when I think of home, it's a warm, green feeling. Yeah, man. <laughs> you know? And you're grateful that you yeah. have a wife who kicked you out of the house that day. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. She's, she's been responsible for more than just that one song. <laughs> yeah. Well, Pat, thank you for being our guest. Thank you for writing that song. It means the world to me. Thank you for right. changing my life with a song. I'm very, very grateful. And thank you for being our guest here on tonight's show. Great. Glad thank to be you so here. much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to A Song Can Change Your Life, live from the Alpharetta Arts Center in Alpharetta, Georgia. Our special guest has been Pat Terry. To learn more about Pat, go to patterryonline.com. To learn how a song can change your life, visit asongcanchangeyourlife.com. Our audio engineer is Jerry Knable. Our production coordinator is Jacob Davis Martin. A Song Can Change Your Life is a Home by Dark production and brought to you by the city of Alpharetta, Georgia. My name is James, and I hope you'll join us next time on A Song Can Change Your Life.